All right, I'm going to do something that's maybe just a little bit different today. So I'm, this isn't part of a series that I'm doing, but uh, we're, we're going to do a Sunday where we simply think a little bit about time and what that means. Being New Year's Eve and a time when we do think about the year that has passed and the year that is coming and maybe some of those New Year's resolutions that you think about, I'm I want to spend a little bit of time today maybe just wondering and imagining along with you possible New Year's resolutions for the church. And I'll say possible because I'm, some of this is just going to be imagining the potential of what's there. But we'll see how that comes to us. And I'm going to use Ecclesiastes 3 as sort of a baseline for that where the wisdom writer talks about time and what happens in and through and with time. So we'll open that and read that together. Before I read that, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, this is your word, your scripture for our lives. And we pray that as we open this now and read these words, that we would hear your words spoken to us through your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. Speak to us exactly what it is we need to hear from you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first 14 verses that talk about time. Here's what it says. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. Time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can ever be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Time then this description of time that we see in Ecclesiastes. And, and I do want to be clear about that. A description. Let's start with that. 
what it means for the wisdom writer to be giving a description as we read these words in this passage. I mentioned a little something about this, how this descriptive nature of Scripture works several weeks ago when we looked at a passage from the Beatitudes, that there are parts of the Bible that simply describe the world for how it is, not really mandating one way or the other if or if it is not the will of God. But it's simply observing, taking an account, looking around and saying, let's just name what we see around us. That's what the wisdom writer is doing in Ecclesiastes. In fact, most of the book of Ecclesiastes is that. The wisdom writer simply looking at the world and saying, what do I see in front of me? Here's what I see. And not necessarily saying, this is what God says has to be or does not have to be. I think you look at this list of all the things that the wisdom writer talks about time, and, and I suppose on one level that should make some sense. After all, would God mandate a time to kill or a time to hate? That doesn't seem like the kind of thing God would tell us to do, especially when so much of Scripture tells us the opposite, that we are to be people of love and forgiveness and peace. So here we have an example then of description. This is just time as it is. This is just the world we live in as it is and names all the extremes around that and all the ways that we experience it. And it seems to me that as we read this list, even though it is thousands of years old, it's kind of the same world, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like This describes our world, too, that maybe the world hasn't changed that much in the time since the wisdom writer wrote these words about it in Ecclesiastes and the time that we live in now. So that makes this a good passage for us to go to, to say, you know what, because this is that time of year, that time of year when old year, right, New Year's Eve and the New Year coming, we think a bit about So what are the significant events that have happened in the world around us? And we could probably put events into just about every one of these categories that's listed in this passage, couldn't we? That there's been some good things that we've seen. There's also been some awful things that we have seen. So it's there for us in Scripture. Something that we observe in our world as well and what that looks like. But what do we take from that? How do we take that forward? Because as you start to think about that and make those lists, we get to this point of maybe thinking about things that might be a little different. And and that's where New Year's resolutions come in, don't they? We think about things that maybe we would want to change and see a little bit for the better as we move ahead. Things that we could do a little bit differently and make a little bit better as we move ahead. They're all about those things that we want to improve upon. You know what the top New Year's resolutions are? I mean, you can find this by looking on the internet, and it's probably not a surprise to anyone that, at least here in America, the top New Year's resolutions seem to revolve around two things, exercising and eating healthy. 
that more people make resolutions about those two things than anything else. That I'm going to start the new year, you know what? I'm going to eat more healthy, I'm going to cut back on the junk food, that, and, and I'm going to get to the gym more often, and I'm going to exercise. That's how it goes. But here's what happens, because where I live over in Wyoming, the local YMCA, that's right there, um, there's a flood of new people who come in January. And by February, it's right back to where it was. I mean, if you belong to a gym and you go there regularly, I bet you see this too. You know, all these people come in January and yeah, somewhere by the middle of February, it's kind of right back to where it was. All those good intentions, but it only lasts a moment. Or notice this one. Because it'll be coming in the next week or two that uh, if you look at grocery store sale advertisements, right, the little flyer you get from Myers and Aldi's and all that about things on sale, the first couple of weeks of January, it's health food. That they put on sale all the things that they know you made a resolution, I'm going to start eating healthier, so those are the things that they sort of put on the front page of that. By the time we get to Super Bowl Sunday, that ad is completely different. Now it's snacks and chips and junk food, and there you go, February, it's gone. It lasts a moment, and then it's gone. But that's something else that the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes is pointing out. Often in the book of Ecclesiastes, even though it didn't show up in this passage I read today, he calls these things meaningless. At least in our NIV translation, that's what it says. Meaningless, meaningless. These are all meaningless things. Or if you're a fan of the old King James version of the Bible, vanity is what they called it. Vanity, it's all vanity. It's the Hebrew word havel. And what it really means is something that is momentary, that is temporary. In fact, that is so temporary and momentary that it is completely insignificant. That's what he's after there. All of these things then, all of these things that we do to weigh our time and what we plan to do and where we plan to go and how we're going to make the world a better place and all of that, all of those things the, the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes seems to be nailing down into this category of, you know, let's face it, those things are momentary, aren't they? And I think we get that too. I think there's a piece of that that we understand. That doesn't make it bad. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have goals and we, should, we shouldn't try for these things. But let's understand that God is a God of eternity, as our passage here said today. What the Lord does endures forever. No one can add to it. No one can take away from it. But us, you and I, our world, we have these momentary glimpses, sometimes of joy, sometimes of sorrow, sometimes of things that go our way, sometimes of things we wish would go differently. All of those things make up the moments of our lives. And part of that is significant for New Year's as well, right? That, that we mark moments. We are people who live in time, and, and we mark those moments. And we all do that in different ways, right? Whether you 
take pictures and keep a photo album of it or you journal things or you write down significant things on maybe a calendar or a notebook that you keep. We all mark those moments of significance in different ways because we know they're moments. They're here now and then they're gone. And that's the world that we live in and the world that we live through. So when I think about New Year's resolutions, when I think about what it means for us to be people who look ahead and say, yeah, I want to make some resolutions to be a better person or to live in a better world, I do that recognizing full well that that has to do with the moment that I'm living in now. It has to do with the world that I'm living in now. That there's something about that that takes stock of where it is we live now and how it is we live now. And it starts with a little bit of an inventory. What has God given me to do right now? Because here's the thing, right? I I can make a New Year's resolution that says, I want to play soccer again the way I used to back when I was in middle school and high school. I want to make a resolution to do that, but here's the reality, that I have a 50-year-old body, and that's not going to happen. It's just not. So I can make that resolution, but that's not taking inventory of what I've got right now. Because here's the honest part, right now, any sport that I go play, the goal is not to get injured. Right? And maybe some of you know what that's like too. If I can walk off the field without an injury, that's a win. I'll take it. It's taking inventory of where am I at right now? What has God given me right now? What is in my life right now to work with? And it starts with something of that. It starts with something of just recognizing what God has placed in front of us right now. And then working with that. So let's think about that a little bit. I want to go with that in this passage. And, and here's where, all right, this will be a little bit different. I'm, I know often when I preach a message, I, I try to get us to an application point where I say, and this is what the authoritative word of God says. Today I want to make full disclosure that I'm imagining some possibilities, all right? So what I'm going to put in front of you here are just some imaginative suggestions for what could potentially be New Year's resolutions for the church. And I'm bouncing it off of this passage, but don't walk away from here thinking, okay, the Bible says now I got a this, this, and this. Maybe as you think about how these things apply in your own life, they may take shape or expression a little different way. So we're just going to play with some possibilities about this then. And what New Year's resolutions for the church might look like based on a passage like this. Let me pull out a couple of the verses. Because in all of those things that the wisdom writer says, these things are momentary. You know, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow and it's so temporary it has insignificance to it. Did you catch the conclusion that was in this passage? So what can you do then? So what is it that you're called to do? What is it that God would like us to be based on all of that? Verses 12 and 13, here's what he says. He says, I know that there's nothing better than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their work. This 
is a gift from God. All right, I'm going to pull four actions out of that. Four things in these verses that just sort of come through as what the wisdom writer in looking at all of these different things about our time and what happens in our world through our time, four things that he pulls out and says, you know what, these four things, these are all right. This is a gift from God. Look at what these four things are that I've highlighted up on here. Here's what the wisdom writer calls us to do. I want you to be happy. I want you to do good. I want you to eat and drink. And I want you to find satisfaction in the work that you do. All right, now I'm just going to imagine a bit what this looks like as some resolution. All right, here's my first New Year's resolution for the church. Be happy. I mean, that's what the wisdom writer says there. And it doesn't mean, all right, we all got to tell jokes to each other and that kind of thing. The Hebrew word there is actually a word that says rejoice. Be people who are joyful. Be joyful. So how can I do that? I mean, what's one thing that I could do that helps embrace that life of joy? Taking inventory of the world that I live in right now, right? Taking into account what it is that I have and what it is that I see around me. What's something I can do to embrace a resolution to be more joyful and maybe to be, what, less bitter, angry, frustrated? Here's one thing that I would think of along with that, that, you know what, I'm, I would choose in 2024 to not entrench in culture wars. I'll just say that one out there is one that I would think about. Because look at the world that we live in. Look at the divided bitterness that happens when people become entrenched in issues of culture war. That takes all the joy out of life, doesn't it? It doesn't allow me to rejoice with other people when that happens, does it? Now, that's, that's not to say that we should disengage from culture completely. We know that we are people who are called to be within our culture. That scripture itself tells us that we are to be people who advocate for things like justice and mercy, that those are things that we ought to do, so that we ought to be people who are involved with justice and mercy, maybe looking at certain issues around the culture that deal with that. Things like maybe immigration reform or things like affordable housing. But that's not the same as entrenching in culture war because when it becomes culture war, then it's different. When it becomes culture war, then it's not about advocating for justice and mercy. Then it's about having to be right all the time. That I'm right And anyone who doesn't agree with me is wrong. And if anyone who disagrees with me is wrong, then they are enemies. Take inventory of the world around us. Isn't that what we see? That entrenching in culture war to do that. So you know what? I'm going to make a resolution here. 
that I choose to prioritize being joyful as more important than being right. I don't need to be right all the time. <clears throat> so that's one thing. What about another? Doing good. Now, now, this one can be a little tricky because we don't want to come away from here with sort of this works righteousness gospel. <clears throat> that we don't try to do good to please God or earn anything from God. But goodness also comes as a characteristic, as a quality. In fact, goodness is listed by the Apostle Paul in Galatians as one of the fruits of the Spirit. That is something that is produced in us. That to do good, to be good, is something that can take shape within us and take shape within our lives. Maybe not so much as something that I've got this list now that I better behave and I better be good and I better do all the right things or else, but something that results from the Holy Spirit working in my life. That when the Holy Spirit is connected to my heart and my life, that one of the things the Holy Spirit does within us is produces this spiritual fruit, goodness being among them. So maybe the resolution that I'm going to make here about doing good is a resolution that has to do with connecting with the Holy Spirit. Because if I am resolved to live in a way that is connected to the Holy Spirit, then goodness will be a result of that, a byproduct. It will happen because of the Holy Spirit in my life. So how can I do that? How can we do that? What's the resolution for the church in that, to be connected to the Holy Spirit. Well, there are two things that connect us to the Holy Spirit, Scripture and prayer. That the way the Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts and becomes embedded within us as a part of who we are to the point where we start producing this spiritual fruit as a byproduct, as an outcome of the Holy Spirit. The way that works is by being consistently embedded in Scripture, in prayer. That I would make a resolution for the church in 2024, that we dedicate ourselves to being people who are in the Word, people who are in prayer, because those things connect us to the Holy Spirit. And then... The Holy Spirit produces in us spiritual fruit. Goodness is the result of that. So I resolve that. All right, a third thing then. All right, this one gets pretty basic. I mean, it's in the passage, so I got to work with it. Eat and drink. Well, of course, you have to eat and drink, or you will starve, thirst, and die. But I think there's a little bit more to this that happens. Um, the staff that I work with here at this church, we meet for a staff meeting every week. So every week we get together and have staff meeting. But once a month, we order in lunch. And we sort of set the agenda aside. <clears throat> and we just share. We pull around a table, have a meal together, and share about life, who we are, what's happening, 
hobbies and interests, how our families are doing. <clears throat> and we all, on this staff, look forward to that one. I mean, we don't dread the other ones, don't get me wrong. But there's something different, something special that happens when community gathers around and shares a meal. There's something about that. You know, we've, we had that experience just earlier this month, <clears throat> having a Christmas dinner after church, that we stay and we gather and we have lunch. <clears throat> and we do that in ways where it's good for our community. When I think of significant connections that I have with people, <clears throat> So often those things happen around a table. And maybe it's in a restaurant, maybe it's in a coffee shop, maybe it's in someone's home, whatever that looks like. I think it would be good to resolve that in 2024, we choose to build more community by sharing life with others, <clears throat> having more mealtimes together, whatever that looks like more of that here on Sunday after church, more of that in our homes and small groups, more gatherings to meet for coffee or restaurants, whatever that looks like, because gathering around a table together builds community, and that's a good thing, and we are blessed by that. And then one last thing, <clears throat> to be satisfied with our work and what that looks like. Satisfaction can be hard to find. I mean, you know the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? That we look for that but can't seem to find that, and maybe we've got our own reasons for sabotaging ourselves on that. That maybe sometimes we're too greedy, trying to get more than what we want or deserve. Maybe sometimes it's because of comparison, I'm continually comparing myself to others and what others have and what others can do. And I'm not satisfied with what I have and what I can do. <clears throat> so how do we find satisfaction then? Well, <clears throat> one of the ways around that, I think in taking inventory of what God has given to us is to be faithful with that faithfulness. You know what, that God has not called me to do any more or any less than what he has gifted and enabled me to do. So I would choose to be a faithful disciple of Jesus within the church community. Faithfulness, that God did not call me and equip me to save the world and save everything. That's his job after all. But also, God did not leave me to just sit on my hands and do nothing. That I am equipped. So to be faithful in what I have is a calling from God. And then to be satisfied with that. Not longing for all the things that I wish could be different. All the things that I wish God would do differently in my life. But simply saying, all right, God, Here's what you've given me as my path of discipleship in front of me right now. May I faithfully walk that path and do that 
within my church community. And may that be enough because God always gives us enough for what we need. So let's be faithful with that in the lives that we live. All right, those are my four suggestions. Just as I play with looking at this passage and thinking about resolutions and imagining how the church could be a wonderful place in all the ways that God has blessed us and instructed us through his word and in ways that we can all find our own ways to to connect with those expressions as well. As you think about that then, as you think about that over the next day, right, tonight especially, what are my resolutions? What am I going to do to be a better person? Okay, yeah, you can think about things like exercising and eating healthy. That's fine. But don't overlook some of the resolutions that God may want for you to be a part of his church and how he equips us and builds us to do that together. Because Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for everything. Time for everything. So may God bless the time that he's given us and may we be faithful in responding to him through how we use that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you that in your word that you give us examples of the world that we live in that affirm for us. Yep, this is how the world is, the world that we're in. And Lord, we pray that as we think about all the ways that you have called and equipped us as your people to respond to you, Lord, help us to be people of joy. God, help us to be people who are connected to your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be people who build community with one another. And Lord, help us be people who are faithful disciples following you. And may you do these things in us for your honor and your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.